Brothers and sisters, before I preach, I just want to say thank you for all of you and also people online that have been praying for us. Some of you would know that my wife, Evelyn, was diagnosed with cancer early in the year, and she's undergoing chemotherapy right at this point last Friday, and still a few more sessions to go. But the love and your prayer and your support during this time give us all the love that we needed to go through this very difficult time. And also during this time, it gives us a unique opportunity to see what difficult things people have gone through, crisis in their life. According to expert, in one's life, there are about seven to up to 20 different major crises that can land in our life. And how we deal with those crises determine us as a person and our path in our life. And praise be to God, through this time, we learn from God's Word three keys that if we know these keys, we can be victors, not victims during these times. I'm going to share with you. Now, a few days ago on Tuesday, the 14th of July, there was a thick cloud fog around Adelaide. How many of you remember that? That's great. That is a picture of a journalist took the photo from the Adelaide Hills, and this is Adelaide City. Believe it or not, there's only two high-rise buildings. The whole city was covered. Now, for us, it's a new experience because we live in the eastern suburbs, and in our house, it was sunny. It was bright, and birds are chirping, and we would say, wow, what a great day. So we decided to, I took Evelyn for uh, some grocery shopping. But little did we know that halfway down Crossroad, when we drove down, after a while, we almost like sunlight and then all plunged into darkness. In a snap of a second, from bright daylight and we are happy, all of a sudden we have to be careful because visibility is only less than 50 meters. We have to turn the lights on. We feel very tense. Now, that's how we felt when a major crisis came into our life. For example, a phone call from the doctor and said, you need to come in immediately. It can be your, your boss came and talked to you, and because of COVID-19, you have to be laid off. It can be a text from your girlfriend and said, we need to break off. Crisis can came into our life very quickly. And from experience, I know that there's a sense of shock, of unbelief, of hopelessness, of guilt, of shame, when all of a sudden it lands on our footstep. And it's very difficult. Jesus knew this would happen to his disciples because we're in the middle of the, the priestly prayer of Jesus. Let's, let's go to the next uh, slide. Jesus is the most important prayer that we this recorded. In fact, it is a sneak secret. The secret conversation between Jesus and his father usually is censored and is classified, that we cannot listen to that because it's the secret of God. But God, through the Holy Spirit, through John, has revealed some of the secrets. When we have difficult crises in our life, how can we deal with them and how can we pray about it? Jesus show, knows those his disciples. Many of them will be martyrs for him. But all these of these disciples have a great mission. They have to preach the good news of love and redemption to the whole world. So how did Jesus pray for him? There's three things that we've seen in today's passage. 
The first thing is Jesus said, you need to fill with joy. Uh, next slide, please. Now, to fill with joy. Now, the word joy is a very misunderstood word. We will say to this, this fellow is a jolly good fellow. He's happy. But joy is not a personality trait. And we'll say that, oh, I'm so happy. I must be joyful. Now, joy is not an emotion. Because our emotions can get up one, uh, one moment and another moment it plunges into darkness. It's not that. The biblical joy is that we have so much satisfaction and confidence and security in the Lord that we can go through difficult time with joy. And Jesus is even more implicit, implicit about what kind of joy. It's not our joy. It's not the world's joy. He said, it's my joy in all fullness in them. So we need to examine what is this joy that Jesus is talking about. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it gives us a strong indication of what this joy is. He said, Jesus, we need to focus on Jesus because he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. If we, and if we focus on Jesus, we can see his joy when he endures on the cross. Now, many of you know the cross where most of us are Christians here, and we see the cross every day. But brothers and sisters, do you know that it's the most excruciating and painful death a person can experience? When Jesus was nailed on the cross, there's three nails, about six inch long, that nailed through his hands and his feet together, and he breathed and he bled and also suffocated himself to death for hours on end. Jesus was on the cross. But remember the Bible said, because Jesus saw the joy in front of him, he can endure the cross. So what did Jesus saw on the cross? He saw the fulfillment of God's salvation plan for us. He sees us in the future, in revelations, that multitudes with people of different tongues and tribes will praise Him and worship God. And Jesus knows that his, his plan, God's purpose for His life, has been fulfilled on the cross. So that's why He's so joyful. Now the kicker of that is, it's not only for Jesus. If we focus our eyes on Jesus today, we can have the same joy because we know that whatever happened to us, those are in the plan of God. God is sovereign. He allowed those things to happen. It's not a shock to Him. And with this, if we go through it with God's help, we can have this great joy. And the first verse that Hebrews 1 said, let us run the race with endurance when we focus on Jesus and Jesus who have that full joy. So it applies to us today that when we see Jesus on the cross and the joy that he has and the joy that we can have, we can endure the race. Now, I'm not saying that we need to inflict pain in our life, but life is painful in itself. And we cannot, it's not a stroll in the park. We have to, like an Olympics 100 meters runner or a, a marathon runner, prepare the race well and to strain every free muscle that we have to finish the race to be on top, to be a winner. Jesus is saying that kind of joy that we have and we can endure the problem that we have. 
Now, there's a very difficult passage, and sometimes when we read this passage, we, we check if it's the wrong translation in James chapter 1, 2. It says, uh, Nick, next the slide, he said, consider all joy, brothers and sisters, when all sorts of trial come to your life. And you'll say, Pastor Vincent, are you reading it right? How can I count all joy when problems and trials come into my life? It's ridiculous. But the word consider in the original word is in counting term. It's count this. So if you have been in business before, you mostly know what a balance sheet is. They have the asset and the liability. How you consider the thing in your life can be put in those two columns. Is it good for you or is it bad for you? God is saying to us that we need to consider all these trials that we have is put in our asset column. It's good for us, and they have an explanation. He said, because when we go through those trials, we'll develop perseverance. We'll be strong. We'll be able to go through difficult times. We'll develop long-suffering and patience in our life. And in the next verse, it says, when all this have come to completion, we'll be matured and lack nothing. Now, how many of you wants to be mature in Christ? Put up your hands up. That's great. And how many of you wants to lack nothing in life? If you want that, you should put all these trials as an asset, not a liability in your life. Now, in the Bible, it's full of examples. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it talks about a great king, a good person, but bad things happened to him. He's a wonderful king. His name is King Jehoshaphat. How many of you have heard of King Jehoshaphat in your life? That's wonderful. We have a very educated audience today. King Jehoshaphat was a great king, and God had blessed him a lot with many things. But one day, a messenger came and said to him, Do you know that the Amorites and the Moabites and also people from Mansia have aligned together and to attack you together? And there's a huge multitude of army marching towards us. And Jehoshaphat was in great shock. He looked up to heaven and he declared a fast throughout the whole nation. He kneeled down to God. Not only that, he called the whole nation to came together and pray to God. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but my eyes is upon you. And the Spirit of the Lord came to one of the Levites. He said, because of what you pray, God have heard you. The battle is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the temperature, the atmosphere changed within the whole congregation. They all shout with joy and praise for God. This, and the next day when they went into the battle, they decided because of God have answered their prayer and they believe it, they would send the singers before the soldiers. Now, it's very absurd when we look at if we have a battle to place our worship, lovely worship team in front, not to be as human sacrifice, but to have them lead the way. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a spiritual lesson to that. Sometimes we come to church worship, we think that it's nice to have some music before everything starts. That just get the atmosphere going. No, no, no. When people come and worship God, there's a spiritual battlefield in the atmosphere. And what happens is when the singers start to sing, 
with Jehoshaphat, the enemy army was in great confusion. They start killing each other. And what happened is when the army arrived, they just take all the toll because they're so great. They take all their weapons, all the jewelries that they have, and they have a great victory in this day. Today, brothers and sisters, our worship team is also our frontline team that came forward to sing for us to bring to break the atmosphere that the enemy have in our life. In the same way, when we go through difficult time, we should bring that oppression and bondage spirit out by praising God with all our heart. No, it's not just a singspiration. It's not a song. It's about breaking the bondage of the enemies when we worship God together. God wants us to have this kind of joy in our lives. So first thing he prayed for, we need to full of this joy because we're in a spiritual battle. The second thing that uh, Jesus prayed for them is that they, are not, they need to know their identity. They need to know that they're not of the world. There's a saying, and most of you heard of it, we are in the world, but not of the world. Some people will be quite confused what that means. But if we know the original Greek, cosmos, there's several meanings. One meaning of cosmos is the created world which means that we're living in the world that God has created and we're enjoying all the fruits that God has given us. But also cosmos have another meaning. It's the worldly system that we live in. And the Bible have told us that uh, this world system is governed by Satan. In 1 John 2.15 it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world, because if you do, the love of the Father is not in us. The love of the world is the love, uh, the lust of sin, um, the love of the world, and also uh, the pride of life. So these are controlled by Satan. We need to know that we are not of the world. The next slide, please. And how should we live? The Bible gives us another hint. He said that we need to live as aliens and strangers, or this version said, we are like foreigners and exiles. Now, some of you may recognize my accent and the way I look, that I'm not born in Australia. I was born in Hong Kong, and my wife was from Singapore, so every year except this year, we would go to Singapore for holidays. We love Singapore. We love the food. Who, who, love, who doesn't love the food in Singapore? We love the food. We like, like the shopping. We love seeing our family. But we know that we're not Singaporeans. When we go there, especially the time that we're coming back, we would change our time zone. We'll change our watch. And uh, how many of you know what, what this is, this, this slide? This is actually the airport. It's the latest uh, Terminal 4. It's called the Jewel the largest waterfall in the world. In this, you will have 200 retail therapy uh, for, your, for your comfort before you fly. You have the IMAX, you have a theme park, you have everything in there. I love it there, but I know that our time in the airport is very short. This should be our, um, in our mind to know that in this world, no matter how much we love the world, we're only foreigners. We're only aliens and strangers in this world. Now, the other thing in this passage says that if you live like a foreigner, you know that you can conquer sinful desire in our heart. What's that mean? Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret of Satan. 
Now, Satan may attack us just with a big crisis, but like most kung fu and most basketball or footy players, there's usually a one-two punch that this last punch really kills you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's, that's great. It's good. It's a great uh, group today. So what happened is, when Satan hit us with a major crisis, the second punch is the temptation in our heart. I experience myself. That's a sinful desire. Because I'm so stressed, I need to have some release. But the Bible is saying that we cannot let this happen. We need to know in advance to block that attack from the enemy. For someone, it can be you will lose your temper altogether or lose your faith altogether. This is the second punch of the enemy. But if we know that it's coming, we can prevent it. In the 18th century, King Louis XVI was dethroned of the kingdom. The, cap, uh, the people dethroned him, captured his son, and took him to a far place. And he said to himself, I need to make sure this boy will not be the king. So what ha happened is, they exposed him to the vilest, the most um, uh, decadent type of life that he can live. He, they surrounded him with uh, uh, prostitutes, with women with very low standards, uh, and attempted in, in sexual temptation. They surrounded him with food. Now remember, guys, foods that are decadent and they will capture uh, their life with their appetite. So we have to be careful with Christian as well. And they surround him with people who swears all the time. Over six months, nothing changed to him, and he doesn't budge. And the captors were surprised and asked him, why do you not enjoy the food and the woman that we've given you? He said, I was brought up to be a king. I cannot live like that. It's a great example for us today. Because we are kings and queens, we're heirs in the name of the kingdom. Anyone say amen to that? Because we are the kings and queens that God has given us this position that we have. In another verse, not just that we are foreigners of a very remote country, but we are citizens of heaven. God said, you are a chosen race, a proud priesthood, a people belong to God and God's precious procession. God has given us so much, and we should be proud of it. The world tells us when we have difficulty and major crisis in our lives, we should shrink as Christians. But the Bible tells us we should know our position in Christ. We need to stand up and rise up. Now, some of you may know in England, every year, they have a big variety show for the Queen. It's called the Royal Variety Performance. Who, who have heard of that before? That's great. And every year, they have the best performer in the world, like Circus Olay. They have the best singer, uh, the most beautiful people on stage. Just imagine at the backstage. If we walk into the backstage, most people will be intimidated by the beautiful people, the strong people, the talented people in the, in the room. But not so for a 90-year-old lady. She's by no means more beautiful than the woman in the room. She's by no means stronger than any other person or more talented. 
but she knew in her blood, it's the queen of course, that the royal blood flows through her vein and she can stand shoulder and head above everyone in the room and they know that they're paying homage to them. In this world, we need to be proud of who we are in Christ. In terms of crisis, don't retreat, go forward because we are the children of the Most High. God wants us to be joyful, full of Jesus' joy, and also want to know that we do not belong to the world, but belongs to heaven. The third thing that Jesus prayed for us is to be sanctified by the truth, and the truth is your word. It's very, very clear what it means. It means the word of God. Now, sanctified have two meanings in the original text. It means to be holy and separated from God. The Old Testament scholar or even the Pharisees have a misunderstanding of what holiness means, and that's why they have so much conflict with Jesus. They believe that to be holy, they need to eat certain food, they need to be circumcised, they need to attend certain festivals. But Jesus is very clear. He did not say, sanctify them with the law. He said, sanctify them with the word of God. God in his, uh, and the prophets have said, our heart will be from a heart of stone, it will turn up to a heart of flesh. And we'll be able to understand God's word, which will be hidden in a heart, not in a tablet of stone anymore. So God is saying that we need to read the Bible. Now, how many of you have uh, liked the book of Romans? I like the book of Romans, and some of you may have joined the Romans uh, sessions that we have in our church. The Romans, in the first 11 chapters, it talks about the grace of God. It's also called the gospel according to Paul, about uh, the love of God, what joy we have in the Lord. But in first, uh, from chapter 12 onwards, it says a change of atmosphere and what we should do about it. In the verse third is, is, first verse, it says, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your spiritual act of worship. So our life should be submitted back to God. But the next verse, which I've placed it here, is very important. He said, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. At the point of salvation, our spirit is saved. We, all of us will go to heaven if we accept Jesus. We have eternal life. Our body will be saved one day when we see Jesus face to face. And some of us have attended the uh, funeral of Alan Jones on Friday. We know he's in glory with, with the Lord. But in this earth, we're going to have a battle of our minds because the enemies is going to infiltrate into our mind through social media, through the world that is influencing our mind every moment. We need to counteract by that, the Bible says, by the renewal of our mind through reading of God's word each day. Our enemies is telling us, in times of crisis, we need to retreat. We shouldn't read it because God have, have, uh, have abandoned us. But the truth is, from my experience, I use the word of God in, as my strength. And I'd be able to write down what I believe God has spoken to me on the soap as well, to share with many people. It become my strength. God's word can sanctify us. Now, sanctification also can be used as a verb. 
but also used as a noun of the process of being sanctified. Next verse, I find a beautiful slide for it. It's about we become more and more become in the likeness of God, and that's sanctification. In this world, we have been so far away from God, but God wants us to be into His likeness through transforming through the Word of His Word each day. So more and more we will see the glory of God in our life, and we're more and more like Jesus each day. At the moment, we're reading through Acts 2. Acts 2 is the time when the Holy Spirit came in the time of Pentecost. And Peter used this opportunity to share with the, the early church because the people are speaking in tongues and people are shocked. Peter explained to them that's what happened. It's explained that the Spirit of the Lord will be poured on all flesh through Prophet Joel's uh, prophecy. And Peter said to them, you have crucified Jesus, who is the one who is God, and who, why, that's why the Holy Spirit came. And because you have asked for his blood, you are, uh, you are uh, uh, guilty of his death. And all of a sudden, they're gripped in their heart, and the Holy Spirit convicted them. And they said to Peter, brother, what can I do about it? Peter said, you need to repent which means that you need to change the mind and change the direction in your life, and you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, it doesn't stop there. Verse uh, 42 is the next verse. In between that, a lot of Christians, especially in the Western world, we said, okay, I believe in Jesus, and that's it. And uh, to come to the church service, Oh, I love Pastor Paul. I love Pastor Timon and Jeff and Pastor Vincent. Because they call me, I feel obligated to come. I give face to them to come. No, 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 no. The early church do not do that. It's not giving, doing us a favor. They knew their identity have changed from darkness into light. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to the reading of the word. They devote in fellowship with one another. They develop in prayer and bringing of the bread. Their life has changed and they need to do something about it. It's not from outside, it's from within. They don't have a whip to Pastor Timon or Pastor Paul to a whip for you to come. You should come automatically. The voice that asks you not to come is not from God. You are here and online today because God calls you to listen to His Word. Brothers and sisters, we need to know, and as a church, we have determined as a pastor's team to help each one of us to be more Christ-like. So some of you would know that we have a reading plan to read through the New Testament throughout the year. Who, who, who knows it? That's great. Now, if you don't know it, next week we're going to send our uh, reading plan for the third term to all in, in the notice board, and also we'll print some in front. Now, because of COVID-19, if you can print it, please print it yourself. And it should be out this week, because Leanne is on holiday. It's late for a week, but it should be ready for next week. Now, the reading plan is so important, because we want to read through God's Word, line by line, chapter by chapter. And we go through a process. We've done research and know by God's Word that it's God-breathed, and it's, it's profitable for us for training, rebuking, uh, 
and training for righteousness so the men of God will be fully equipped in 2 Timothy 3.16. We know that we need to read the Word of God, and we use a simple acronym to help us. Now, there are many acronyms like SPACE, but we find that SOAP is uh, uh, easy and everyone can understand. Now, how many have heard of that acronym before? So, come on, that's great. What's S stands for? Scripture. Now, when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is like a highlighter. We'll highlight a verse that God speaks to us. So we write it down. What does O stands for? Observation. And again, the Holy Spirit will help us to understand. And some of the verses and truth will all of a sudden send very clearly in our mind. So we'll write it down. Now, for example, in today's passage, the three things like full of joy, new, new identity, and to sanctify by God's word, those are the three points. It doesn't need a Pastor Paul or Pastor Vincent or Pastor Timon to write a whole sermon. You just write it down. And A, what's A stands for? Application. Application means there's something we can apply in our life. So if we know that we should have joy, we know that what's, what are we going to do about it? So you write it down. It is personal to you through the Holy Spirit. Now, when I talk to Pastor Timon and I asked him, do you know who is the best teacher in the church? He said, no. And uh, I, I said to and he almost, have, almost fell down on the floor when I asked him that. And I said, it's not you. <laughs> and it's not Pastor Paul. It's not Les, it's not Jeff, it's not me, it's not Graham. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us that only he can speak to us and we're convicted in our heart. And we have to use, and, uh, and it can apply it in our life. It's nothing that God has taught us that we cannot apply in your life. Now, P, what's P stands for? Prayer. Then we have a heartfelt prayer. And pray, God, I'm sorry what I've done before. Please give me the strength to do the things you've given us or given to me. And when you do that, we can grab hold of God's work strongly. Now, I'm going to use a quick illustration. The word, can you give me your hand, your, your five, your fingers? Most of you have five fingers, so give me your hand. <laughs> now, with your hand, we have five fingers. The little finger is the hearing of the word. But by hearing alone, we cannot grip hold of the Bible. Now, for you to come here and online, it's great for you to come and listen to the Word of God, or if you're in a community group, to listen to other people's interpretation of the Bible. It's great, but it's not enough. And the ring finger that we have is something that we committed to for, for people who are married, is we are committed to the reading of the Word. So the second ring uh, uh, finger is... Reading of the Word. Now, reading is important because the Word of God can change our life, and reading is so important. We read the Word of God. But again, just purely reading, and with the little finger, it's not enough. Because I'm sure it's not like you, but for me, sometimes I will speed read it and say, I've done my, my reading today. But sometimes you don't get anything out of it. And then we have to go to the third one, the longest finger, the finger that takes the longest time. And I call it journaling the soap journaling. Now, there's the world of difference uh, between reading and journaling. Some people say, I read the Bible, that's enough. But there's a huge difference. Ask someone who have attended a lecture and to put out an essay of 5,000 words. 
They need to do research on it. They need to read through it. They need to understand what they're saying. So when I read the Word of God, I would ask God. Sometimes I've, I'm, my head is blank. I ask God, what are you, going, what are you saying to me? Do this first. So I have to think about it, think about it, pray about it. And in biblical term, it's called meditation. We meditate on the Word of God. We Bible study Word, and we sometimes memorize some of the words when we do it. So the longest finger takes the longest, but it's also the strongest finger. We can now grab hold of the Bible. There's two more fingers. This finger is called the index finger where we point people to God. And also when we share Jesus with others. In a community group, we can share what God has spoken to us to encourage one another. Now, how many of you are teachers in here? Yeah, some of you are teachers. And as teachers, you know that when you prepare a lesson and teach, you benefit most, you understand the material most when you do that. Now, just to tell you a little secret about preaching, is that when I prepare for this message, I'll write down more than three times the material that I need for this. And I have to have the pain, in the last two days, I have the painful uh, uh, thing I have to do to cross off all the examples and all the Bible verses not relevant. And out of that, you, you guys got the best presentation of what I believe God is speaking to us. And do you think that you benefit most? No, I benefit most when I prepare for a sermon because I got most of the things from God. Teaching is very important and sharing because God has want, want us to share His love to one another. And the thumb is the most important finger because it works with other four. The Bible said, don't be a just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. So the thumb is we need to act on God's work and experience God's truth in our life. Not by head knowledge, but experience God's love in our life. If we have those five fingers, we've grabbed hold of it strongly. As I explained to you, we try as a church to help all of you to read the Bible. And in Facebook, uh, I post my soap every day in Facebook and also have a small clip of about three minutes of video about that passage. How many of you have seen it before? Now, if you haven't seen it, ask the one that you have put their hands up and ask them because you need to be a friend to be, get into it. If everyone comes to me, I won't have time. But ask people, just put your hands up again. Just put a hand if you have seen it or you're in that. Ask those how they can help you to get into the Facebook. If you don't, uh, you can simply go to City Reach Ogden Soap in the Facebook and uh, check yourself in and see all the soap that we have for each day. During the time of uh, COVID-19 of crisis, God has prayed and leaked the secret to us today. First, if we need to fool of we need to fool of the joy of the Lord. Uh, next slide, please. And we need to also know our identity in Christ. Because the enemy will attack us. We're very vulnerable during this time. We need to know our identity. But also we need to fight in offense with the word of God, the sword of God, with God's word, so they can transform our life and be a true victor of God. Now before I finish, I'll ask the worship team to come forward. And I'll just share with you another story that I've put in a soap a few days ago. In 1997, Professor Gary Matherson have done an important study for a question that has plagued a lot of parents and music teachers. They want to find out why some students progress so well in music 
where some students do not progress well at all in music. So they have gone through a lot of studies looking at different factors, what make a student uh, improve a lot quicker. They've gone through everything. But the answer they find out is not about the genetics, if the fingers are longer, or how the dexterity of the person, not because of the income of the parents or the background of the parents. It's nothing to do with it. But what questions stand up when they ask the children? The question is, would you continue to play for two more years, five more years, or for life? The children that put for life are the children that excel most, improve most. The conclusion of the study is they see themselves as musicians. They know the identity has changed when you pick up this instrument. They know that simply playing a music instrument is not an extracurricular activity. They're just to pass time. They know that because they're musicians, practicing is actually, it's a matter of fact, and the second thing they find out is they find joy. Initially, they may not find joy as a musician, but after a while, they find great joy of practicing music. And with those three factors, the joy, know the identity, and they put the time to practice, become great musicians. It's my prayer today that God has spoken with all of us, that through crisis in our life, which will shape our life, we'll have full of joy, we'll know our identity, and we will be sanctified by His Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.